1: Hi, everybody. Welcome. We're uh, we're excited to have a, a show for you today with a, a friend of mine, Kevin Seesok. We are going to be talking about uh, the CISO's relationship with the legal department, with their GC, um, and kind of all the pieces around that. Um, we, uh, I think we're going to enjoy it. I'm going to enjoy it. I think Kevin's going to enjoy it. Uh, just some quick cleanup or uh, some quick announcements. We've got two events coming up that Kim is doing. Uh, we've got uh, Nashville uh, event. It's uh, November 2nd. And we've got a San Diego event, um, November 16th, I believe. Uh, of course, you can find all the episodes on the Voice of America Talk Radio Show Network. Um, uh, if you search for security for all, I just happened to find my own little page on there, which I really appreciate my picture with all the episodes that I've had. That was very nice of them. But um, it's, we've got all the episodes up there. So, if uh, you can listen on your favorite podcast uh, tools, or uh, you can find us online. So, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, Kevin Seesok is CIO of Omag, uh, which I'll let him uh, explain what all that means. Uh, but I've invited him here. He and I have worked together for the last few years, off and on in the, in Oklahoma for a variety of events. And I thought he uh, he would be a great uh, a great guest to come in and let's talk about this particular topic. So, uh, how are you doing, Kevin? So I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, thanks
2: Jonathan for having me. Um, so just, uh, um, because everybody says, Oh, Omega, what exactly is that? Um, and we'd never get tired of explaining who we are. Um, so do you know every state's got like a state risk management department? Uh, well, we're that for municipal governments. Um, we're made up of over 500 cities and towns, uh, in Oklahoma. Um, and we essentially provide a variety of risk management services. We're what's known as a public entity risk pool, an interlocal cooperative. There's like half a dozen, half a dozen different terms for what we do. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, we're an extension of the city and town governments that we serve. Um, and we do all sorts of things. Um, my role of course is on the IT side. So we take care of OMEG's IT. But we're also in the business of helping out our cities and towns with their uh, cybersecurity. We are uh, 500 cities and towns in Oklahoma's cyber insurance provider. And that is a bit of its own fascinating topic, too. But, um, you know, uh, there's a legal aspect to cyber insurance.
1: And um, I've had to learn a little bit about how to read a contract. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well and and actually that's uh, I think the first I want to say the first panel you and I were on we were on with the FBI yes um, and we were, we were talking about some of the legal sides. I mean, it was from the law enforcement side, uh, cyber insurance and a few other things. But that was where you and I kind of got to have a little fun up there for the audience and talk about it, this stuff.
2: Kind of the, the question of should you pay the ransom? And that's a whole hour in and amongst itself,
1: isn't it? Um, yes. Yes, it and, is. In fact, I think you and I took about an hour for that day. Oh, um, yeah. Easily. <laughs> easily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, and it's a great topic. And I think uh, I think today's is going to be a great topic. Uh, so one of the things that came up, there was a, a, a LinkedIn article that was specifically talking about CISO's relationship to uh, general counsel and advising and such. And and there was a lot of conversation around that. But I really wanted to, uh, try to bring this topic up for us because I have always had a really good relationship with our general counsel and external counsel. Um, They're a huge uh, partner for me uh, in what I do here. And I think it's the same for you. But that partnership comes with, you know, some some requirements and things that I have to think about differently and that they have to think about differently as it relates to a particular topic, whether it's vendor management, uh, an incident response, a a, a process, you know, policies and procedures. Uh, compliance. I mean, there's a, a variety of things that we really need to partner with from the legal side. And uh, and I think you and I have some very similar views on that. And uh, and I wanted to kind of start off from that. So let me ask you kind of just to get us started. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have these questions in any particular order, just conversation pieces. If you had to, uh, what is, what do you think the biggest value you get out of working from your general working with your general counsel's office so if you just looked at everything <laughs> that happens that you deal with them what is that biggest benefit that you get so I, I think
2: the 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 biggest benefit is also the first reason why most uh, CIOs or IT managers or anyone would even walk into the general counsel's office in the first place and it's also one of the critical and frankly, most boring aspects of cybersecurity, and that is vendor and supply chain management. The The, the simple fact is, is that your general counsel um, is going to be your first line of defense at the time of purchase, at the inception of a new system or project to get the right solution and protect your organization. Um, and that's, that was honestly my first uh, experience in pretty much every organization I've worked in of when I walk into the general counsel's office. Um, the, the reason why I'm there is because I've got a, a draft contract in my hand and I say, you get, who do I talk to about this? I don't know yep. what the red line. Yep. Um, and if you don't already have that relationship, that's where it's probably going to have to start. It's frankly where it should start because I mean, if you're think if you think to yourself, well, how do you protect yourself as an organization from an event uh or a situation like solar winds hack? Well, you there's no IT solution to that problem. There you know, the the everything that we figured out through the fallout of that was that unless you were looking very carefully and got really lucky, nobody caught it. And the the issue is more after the fact. You still need to protect your organization. Maybe that's uh, penalizing or getting compensation uh, from the company that that uh, made the mistake. And I'm not calling out Solar Winds here. I'm just sure, saying, sure. you know, I mentioned cyber insurance earlier. This is where some of that stuff comes into play. Yep. All of this is contractual uh, and legal documentation. All of that work needed to have happened long before you ever bought the product in the first place. So much right. of IT is about purchasing. So you've got to have a contract
1: and that yep. contract's got to be reviewed by an expert. That's your expert. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <clears throat> and, and I'll tell you, you know, uh, whenever we got, we didn't have a GC for a long time. And uh, so we had some incidents, uh, minor incidents, but they were vendor management incidents. And so I worked really closely with our external counsel, who was effectively our GC. I mean, they were mm-hmm. they were always there. That was who we went to. And we really built this vendor management process that we do here. And it's a, a data writer and a questionnaire and a variety of things that we do. And the and the uh, when we got a new GC, um, she came in, and I was first on her list. I wanted to make sure I got on her schedule immediately to go talk to her because if she wanted me to change something, I wanted to be able to do that. But we, uh, so we got into it and uh, and I explained to her all the stuff that we did and she loved it. And, you know, it was really kind of funny because we talked about a lot of different things that day. But one of the things she said was, I don't know IT. I know the legal side. I know the pieces that we need to do to protect the organizations." but I don't know the technical stuff and I don't know these particular mm-hmm. things. So she really liked the the process that we had where, you know, we review the, the why well, me specifically, I review the contracts. I offer my suggestions of what needs to be included and what needs to be you know added to these red lines um, from a technical perspective or an IT security perspective or even a privacy perspective. And then she takes that and does all the magic to get it over to yeah, the vendor. You know, you, you say too that you had that that first
2: conversation with her and uh, it was really positive. I don't think I've ever had uh, a negative conversation with a GC. It's yep. you know, this is an interesting topic because I'm I don't know how these uh, uh, these shows go, but sometimes I'm guessing it's a little more. Oh, we had this negative interaction. We had to work with this company or this staff person. I've never had a a bad interaction with a GC or an attorney because it's always an opportunity for you both to nerd out. Um, They're just legal nerds. You're just IT nerds and um, you get to teach each other a lot of cool stuff. Um, It didn't hurt here at OMAG that really the the first day um, that I met our general counsel, I found out that um, not only is he uh, a giant Star Wars fan, So that helps. You've already got common ground. But he started out his first semester in computer programming and then shifted over to uh, legal, you know. And it's like so, he know, it's it's kind of, again, one of those know enough to be dangerous. Um, And it's it's always been my observation that these two groups work really well together.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, we just got a, uh, a post from Karsten where they were t- where uh, he was talking about mm-hmm. you know, better have the relationship with the G- the general counsel um, before you have an incident. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and that's that's really kind of what we're talking about here because you have to really build that partnership together so that you can talk with. I have spent many nights in the middle of the night talking with a GC. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, we've had an incident. She is the first person I call. And, and the reason is simple, because when there's an incident of any kind, your general counsel, along with your external counsel, along with your breach coaches, they set the universe. They set the universe of who's going to be involved in this situation. Uh, and they make sure everything starts getting underprivileged if possible. They start getting you know, all the pieces in place. They're the focal point. So it really is. You get in that relationship early. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a a good friend of mine who was talking one day about how uh, he would take his car in only when there's major problems. And somebody stopped him and says, you know what, you're, you're really kind of taking away that relationship because instead of taking your car in for the easy stuff like an oil change or a tire rotation and all this stuff, you only take it in when there's a problem, like a major, you know. And I kind of felt the same way when we're dealing with the re- relationship with the with the GC. Is let's let's not only talk with them when there's a problem. Let's talk with them when they're when I'm trying to build something new or build a new program or just saying hi and how are you doing is a wonderful thing.
2: Well, and there's so much that you can't answer uh, as the IT person as a CISO, There's so much in your wheelhouse that you shouldn't honestly have an opinion on Um, things like data privacy and data ownership and uh, records maintenance and open records and whatnot. You know, so we're a public entity. We've got, uh, we've got sunshine laws for open records, open meetings, stuff like that. And those are the last things in the world that I have an opinion on uh, because I am not an expert. And it's a case of, look, you need to tell me what to do. Yep. I'll build the system however you want. I'll I'll build, uh, you know, configure our um, uh, security uh, permissions and whatnot to whatever standard you guys set. Yep. But I can't be the one to set that because exactly. that's not my
1: responsibility. Yes, exactly. I even take mm-hmm. it a little bit further because I got in a conversation with the GC once mm-hmm. and we were talking about interpreting compliance and how it's interpreted. I told her, I don't interpret compliance. <laughs> I don't interpret laws, I don't interpret I, anybody. I implement. Yes. <laughs> I absolutely. I enforce stuff. Yes. Somebody else, you you can tell me how you want me to you know how you want me to follow it or do it. Um and I've always gone under the impression that it's the judge and the jury that actually does the interpretation. Um but the, I'll tell you the GC was taken aback by that. They they mm. were like you know, th- I, I don't, I don't, I, I've never thought of it like that, that you don't interpret this. And it's like, well, here's the deal. You know, I come from law enforcement for many, many, many years ago. Um, and I was taught you don't interpret the law. We follow yeah. the law. We enforce the law. You don't want a police officer having to interpret something standing on the side of the road for a traffic infraction. It's, it's either this or this. So those sorts of things are really important in the relationship as a CISO. I don't want to interpret anything. Just like you said, you tell me what you need to do and we'll get it done. One of my favorite examples for that too. And it, it's always the big, most painful
2: one that really needs somebody outside of it. and needs somebody in the business. And I think your GC might be one of your best, uh, best people to really uh, shepherd this type of project is DLP yep. um, yes. data data loss prevention projects. Because it's like, well, you know, the, and it's another perfect example of where the tool isn't nearly as far as where the need is. It's yeah. still just desperately trying to yep. guess at what is uh, protected data and different classes of data. Yep. And it's kind of a case of, you know, well, we don't even have to buy this or turn it on. Um, frankly, we could just tell people here's the policy and follow it. Right. This is a backstop because I cannot begin to count the number of times I've been asked by attorneys, HR staff, finance staff and even even other IT people you know can do we have a system that can prevent the extrication of this data it can prevent accidental deletes that can prevent uh, this data from showing up on right. somebody's laptop or thumb drive and I'm like, of course we can try you'll get about at best 70% sure the, the question you should be answering is not, can we but should we right and that's not a que- that's not an answer I'm going to give you you need to give it to me right
1: yeah and I think that it, that comes down to what we said earlier is the 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 legal department and GC may not know the technology or the effectiveness of the technology right They know how to protect the organization and what we need to do to protect the organization. It's our job to implement that. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been in many conversations where I'll get a call and they'll say, "Okay, we need to do this. What's possible? Whether that's a um, well, here's a perfect example. Um, I'll get a call um, because someone is, uh, let's say. Uh, this is hypothetical, but let's say somebody is mad at somebody, a supervisor wants to evaluate what is on somebody's computer. HR. I mean, yeah, this <laughs> happens all the time. Yep. Um, And if they see something and they want to, you know, and my big pushback is like, I can tell you that that computer browser mm-hmm. accessed this DNS or this website. I cannot tell you that that person actually viewed it. I yeah. can't say how long they've used it. I can't, there's nothing on there. So you have to take it with a grain I, of salt.
2: I can't even tell you that that person, even if it was exactly. their username was using that computer at the time. Exactly. I mean, and so I took a digital forensics class a while back and, and the, uh, the professor really worked hard to cram a lot into our heads about all of the different tools, technologies and and capabilities. But the first and most important thing was you have to think like a, a forensic scientist. Yep. You have to think that you can only state what you can actually prove and verify with evidence. Right. And that, that includes, cause you know, I've been asked this myself. It's like, you know, can you prove that so-and-so was, no, I cannot, I can't, pr- here's, here is the exact facts that I can prove. Yes. And beyond that, um, it, for some reason, there's still there still can be this tendency uh, to think that you know it is going to be a little magical. We're going to have the ability to just tell what's going on. We get asked this all the time: Can you tell if somebody is working? That's I think right. that's every you know uh, yeah. everybody's every supervisor's favorite question: Can you tell when people are working? Yep. Um, and the 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 answer is honestly no. I really right. really can't. Right. Um, because I've got a little, you know, and Jonathan, I know you have one, too, a little device that you plug it in and it's a mouse jiggler. And yep. you know what? I'm
1: working 24 seven now. Yeah. Um, and it's,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I mean, even before that, we I, I've seen people, they'll take their watch and they'll lay it down. They'll put the mouse on top of the watch so that the second hand. Hits that laser. (laughs) So you're not even plugging anything in or installing a piece of software, but the mouse itself is moving because of that second hand. So yeah, I mean it's it's really difficult. I had that issue come up, you know, several times during, of course, the COVID, the pandemic, everyone's going home. And it's like, I know I can't prove anything. I can tell you the facts, I can tell you what I see, but there's no nothing that I can prove. Yeah. And I've always pr- pushed back against that, too, because I feel like if the question is, hey,
2: IT, can you prove that someone was working? That's actually that that question makes me a little concerned for the culture of the organization. Yes. And it's it's kind of a case of, hey, you know, or can you look and see when this person was logging in? My answer is usually I can, but I probably shouldn't. And here's why. Yeah. Why is you know, are we really that type of organization? You know, shouldn't we be goal and performance based? Not sure. You've, you fill the seat for eight hours a day. Um, and you know, are there other, frankly, you know, the question is always, are there other reasons why you're asking me this question? And usually there are. Well, Usually, sure. there's something yeah. else. So it's like, well, they were doing this, and then they did this, and I walked behind them, and they were on Facebook, and yeah. um, you know, or sitting up, scrolling TikTok on their phone or something. And it's like, okay, then then focus on that. You know, just coming yeah. from one supervisor to another, that yeah.
1: then that's your problem. Like right. you don't need IT to tell you you have a problem. You already sure. know you have a problem. Right. But I mean, and that's where the the GC can come in and be very handy because I can tell you, this was years ago now, Um, nothing recent, not even the people are not even here anymore. But I actually had someone come up and ask me, um, uh, I don't even think I, Yeah, I was a CISO at the time, Uh, but they asked me to do something that was actually illegal (laughs) and they didn't know it was illegal per se. They were trying to accomplish something. (laughs) I immediately went to the general counsels and says, hey, um, I'm really concerned about this. Here's it is. And they were able to go, absolutely not. Not only will that get you in trouble, it'll get the university in trouble. So we cannot do that. So that partnership, I mean, it was a direct order for me to do that. And I was able to push back on that and say, well, wait a minute. We can't do this for these reasons. And I had the backup of GC. And it it, it worked out. We were able to protect the university. We were able to protect Mm -hmm. the individual that was involved in this. And and that's our, that's our number one goal is to protect everybody. And uh, having that friend, having that relationship with the GC was really helpful in those situations because they, I have feelings about it, you know, kind of like what you said before. It's like, Whoa, wait a minute. I don't, this is not right. I don't feel good about this. Go and ask. They'll tell you if it's good or bad.
2: Yeah. And I think you and I have both um, uh, both know individuals that have had some horror stories where it's like you're as the as a cybersecurity analyst, as a CISO, you're being put into a position where it's like, um, well, we want you to build a case against somebody. We want you to um, now, thankfully, I've not really been in this situation, but it's like, okay, this is a very tricky political line. there's there's,
1: you know, angry people on both sides. Yep. You know, well, uh, I'll even that situation. I've had a situation where um, it was very confidential in in terms of what was happening. And uh, uh, the general counsel at the time came to me and says, listen, you know, we have to do this the right way. We have to provide the information in a, a forensically sound way. We have to do it, you know, full custody tracking on everything. We're letting a third party evaluate this on everything that we do. And she outlined every step that we had to follow <clears throat> to protect the people involved. It wasn't the fact that, I mean, we weren't trying to fire anyone. We It was we were trying to protect the organization and protect yeah. the people involved. And she was the one that says, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this right. Here's what you. And then I was able to come back in and say, okay, to meet that requirement, here's what I need to do. And this requirement, here's what I need to do. And this requirement. And so it was very, very clear how we had to protect the institution.
2: You know, and and you've kind of talked about it from the perspective of, you know, you're the interpreter, we're the executor. That's a that's a feedback process too. So um yep it worked a couple of incidents with uh, law enforcement for some of our cities and towns. And in one case I'm sitting in the general counsel's office and he's got uh police ac- uh, uh, chief of police of one of our towns on the phone and the city had just, it was a business email compromise. Um, you know, they had, uh, done a impersonation fraud. So they sent tens of thousands of dollars to some offshore account and, um, The chief of police, you know, it's like a Thursday and the chief saying, well, my investigator, I'm a little shorthanded. My investigator uh, is actually helping run traffic right now. Uh, She'll be back in uh, ready to look at cases on Tuesday. And, um, you know, this had just happened like an hour or two before. At least we discovered it. Right. And uh, chief of police is on speaker, general counsel's office. And as soon as he said Tuesday, I said, "Stop right there! By Tuesday, this will all be over. Yeah. Tuesday's too late. Yeah. I don't know what you need to do, but if we want to have any chance of stopping this from getting worse and potentially even recovering, you know, a little bit of the money, we've got to it. Right. And that yeah. that kind of that kind of feedback process—that's um, you mentioned the incident response, that that tight knit relationship yeah. between your CISO. And general counsel, that type of situation's got to exist. Oh, absolutely. That you know, attorneys are used to these cases that take months or or potentially even years to resolve, and we have seconds and minutes sometimes. And
1: letting them know that is important. You know, when we talk about uh, incident command structure, when we're talking about uh, building your team and stuff your incident command, it is really important to have legal. Right there, you know, wow. it's in fact, if you look at the ICS 100 and you're kind of their, their infrastructure, you know, command, incident commander, and then you got the, the logistics and the money and all this. I always do that line right across from as a commander of legal. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Allie uh, in the comments, she she said it great. She says attorneys should always be looped in. They have to protect the organization. They wow. are my first call. No matter what, day or night, they are my first call when there is any sort of incident because they are the ones again sets the universe. They are also the ones that starts engaging our cybersecurity. They're the ones. They're the ones that protect me, yeah. and, and that's really important to me. <laughs> um, and I know well, that sounds yeah, but they. I mean, their job is. You're absolutely right, Ali. Their job is to protect the organization, um, and that means us as people and they want to do that. Well, okay, consider this because, you know, you'll have your general
2: counsel present to your governing body, your board of trustees or directors, your um, uh, you know, executive staff, yep. things like fiduciary duty, legal duty, etc. And you know, we've taken it so far as going cybersecurity duty as well. And yes. really, you know, here are the duties of the governing body. Uh, for cybersecurity, legal, fiduciary, et cetera. All of these aspects have to be brought, pushed up to the top of the organization. Yes. And uh, and all tied in together. They don't all exist in a vacuum. If you're talking about things like GDPR or CCPA or HIPAA, and you don't, your governing body doesn't understand that from both a, at least a very broad technical perspective, In addition to the legal side and the cost and the investment it's going to take to meet those requirements and put that whole thing together, they're lost and they can't govern your organization properly.
1: Right. Well, and legal advice, you know, this is this is a big one. Legal advice only comes from your lawyer. Yeah. If you get it from any (laughs) yeah, if you get it from anybody else, it's not legal advice. Might be legal. did I preface this whole thing with
2: the, the favorite uh, five letter acronym? I am not a lawyer.
1: (laughs) I love that. I use that a lot in my presentations, It's perfect. Um, but yeah, this is the actual, you know, that's the thing is if you're not getting your legal advice from your lawyer, you're not getting legal advice. Um, And I don't know how to stress that enough. And if you're not getting them to help you, if you're not engaging them immediately um, you're putting yourself at risk, honestly. Um, Now, there are times in which you are, you know, from a professional standpoint, told to do things that um, you question. That mm-hmm. is absolutely the time. Go talk to legal. You know, <laughs> you, you you have personal liability if you don't. If you don't go and seek legal advice, you have personal liability against that.
2: I've had, uh, yeah, I've had RG, RGC in my office. Uh, telling stories of of where we've had you know uh, directives down to IT people you know we're getting the call basically being told is this legal and um, you know both from a technical and a legal perspective there's just red flag after red flag after red flag and yep. thankfully these weren't internal to us this was all risk management activity so it's yeah. kind of one of those cases where it's like we're advising others. Yeah. Um, but still, you hear these horror stories, and it's like, you know, contact your GC. For our cities and towns, it's usually a city attorney. Um, right. You know, but at the end of the day, there is a legal expert down the hall ready to start yep. advising on what is correct, what protects the organization. And people have got to remember that that's, you know, who they work for is who they've got to work hard to protect. Yeah. Um, it's not their own jobs. You know, you, your job will be okay if you work hard to protect the organization.
1: Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I love to hear from our general counsel is uh, because th- one of the biggest things is they know what they don't know. Yeah. And their job is to do everything that they can to protect the organization and the people. Um, but they will come and ask us. You know, they'll come up and, you know, the first time I saw it, this was many, many years ago, it was on an email. I says, did you ask Jonathan about this? <laughs> uh, and it was legal. It was a legal question, but it had a very specific technical piece involved that they weren't comfortable with that. And they say, like, no, uh, until Jonathan signs off on this, I'm not we're not going to do any of this. And that made me feel really good because it felt like I've built that trust up with that, that general counsel's office.
2: And, you know, you bring that up, The we're finally starting to see court cases too um, uh, that are really, I don't want to say catching up with the technology, but at least are starting to be uh, referring to pieces of technology that have existed in my lifetime. Um, and so, you know, uh, our general counsel here and myself, we like to geek out about one or two or three different cases. You know the the one that um, that I can remember. And again, uh, I, I am not a lawyer, but uh, the Quan case. Oh. It has to do with um, searching uh, in this case two-way alphanumeric pager records uh, for a gentleman in the city of Ontario, uh, California, who uh, was going over his text messaging limits. Uh, while texting both his wife and his girlfriend, um, um, and you know, it, it ends up being a data privacy case. Well, it was yeah. all the way to the Supreme court and it's the, the Supreme court decision was, uh, around 10 years ago. It wasn't that long ago and that's how long it took to get there. Yep. Um, so, you know, court cases, uh, the legal advice, how this all shakes out it takes so long to work its way through the court system that, um, you know, it's not something that you and I can guess at. It's something that we have to go to an expert yeah. who follows this kind of stuff. And I love to go into his office and say, all right, you know, tell me about this because I have no idea. And, and, you know, three hours later, we're still talking about it and going, well, it's, you know, it's about five o'clock. Maybe we should finish this conversation. Over here. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> Right. How do you ever decide how this is going to be solved? But without that kind of relationship,
1: you're never, yep. um, you're never going to be able to protect the organization. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of it also has to do with trust. Uh, they have to trust you uh, as uh, as as a person and as a as a CSO, and you have to trust them. I could tell you, uh, uh, the last time I had to go to court for a major case, um, it was supposed to be just a hearing just a basic hearing. Um, I knew that there was going to be some questions from the judge to me. And uh, so we, uh, we were kind of a side um, part of a much larger case. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, you and I have talked about this case before, but um, my GC was um, very close to uh, having her baby. And, She was still there with me. I mean, she was not going to not be there when I had to go to that court. Now, we had another lawyer that I liked. Uh, He was our external counsel. He was great. I really liked him. But there was no chance she was not going to be in that room for me when I was going to get asked questions. Zoomed in from the delivery room as she had. Right, right. (laughs) Um. And, you know, it was, uh, it was a great experience and, you know, the judge was great. You know, we got through, uh, he put me on the stand. We did a variety of things, uh, but I was very appreciative that she was there because she was able to, there were some questions I could not answer because that was not what I did. I, I all the technical stuff, absolutely. The IT security stuff, absolutely. But then he started asking me questions about policies and procedures at the university that I, I mean, I understood fundamentally but wow. I didn't know the specifics and she what she did and she was able to to answer those and you know be able to to help me you know through that process so it's uh I mean, it's really external important. counsel wouldn't have had that either too so exactly exactly I mean he would have defended us I mean he was great but he didn't he didn't have the background of me he didn't have the background of the internal department so he was you know I will say he was limited, but he just didn't have that history and she did. So she was, she was there. and I appreciated that of her. So, you
2: know, one of the other, um, <laughs> one of the other aspects too, I mean, we've, we've rattled off a few things like DLP and uh, uh, HR uh, data privacy, stuff like this. There's all these little areas that we find ourselves trudging down the hall to walk into the uh, general counsel's office. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know who our listeners are, but um, coming from the public sector, social media is an aspect too, where you've got to yep. have um, you've got to have policies, procedures and an understanding of the law before you just, you know, turn people loose on the Facebook. Oh, yeah. Um, before you start moderating uh, people's comments and whatnot. Yep. as a public sector organization, we start doing that and get a little concerning uh, based on the law because your are uh, online presence is similar to a public square. Yeah. Um, it's a limited public forum and there are restrictions you can place on it, but what yeah. those restrictions are has to do with policy. It needs to be written and needs to be clear and you can't write it. Right. Um, and so, you know, it, it, this goes everywhere. One of the first talks I did uh, when I started with OMAG was a, uh, presentation, basically a training session for a group of uh, city clerks and treasurers on social media. And uh, we got the call and um, I said, could you guys do an hour on social media? General counsel walks into my office and says, hey, you want to tag team this presentation? It's going to be an hour. I said, great. We'll start putting the PowerPoint together. We sat down uh, about four or five days before the presentation to start throwing our slides together. And he had a copy of the email, he shows it to me and I go, uh, I think, you know, he and I looked at it like, wait a minute, this isn't an hour, this is four hours. <laughs> and then we look at it again, a little more closely, scroll down all the way through the thread, and we realize it's two four hour sessions, <laughs> the regular and advanced. So the first thing that we did when we stood up in front of these classes for eight hours was say, um, the good news is, is, you're talking to two people the two people in all of OMAG who are most capable of compressing one hour's worth of content into eight hours. <laughs> and there oddly enough, there was eight hours worth of social media uh, information on both the legal and the technical side. And you wouldn't believe it, but to this day I still go back to that presentation. Yeah, That's important stuff. And before yeah. you start deleting comments, just have to
1: understand you might be uh, uh getting in violation of the First Amendment. Absolutely. You know, I, I don't run into that here since we're a private university. In most cases, there are some things that come up. But what I have done is, you know, because we're a private entity, you can do some more things. Now, whether it's right or wrong is a completely different issue, ethical right. or anything. Um, but what I really like about our leadership and specifically general counsel's office uh, people will say, well, we just need to do this X, Y, Z, whatever. <laughs> and it's like, okay, we can. I mean, technically I can absolutely do that. Thunk, there we go. Guess what? Now we can't do anything else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's all these pieces. There was, if um, uh, I can't remember exactly what they were asking me to do, but basically they wanted me to shut down something. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, it's like, well, you know we have lots of different options to do that. Um, from a technical point of view, yes, I can shut the network down. I mean, that's yeah. <laughs> go unplug two cords and thunk, and we're down. Actually, it's going to be more now, but still. Um, but it's like we need to talk to general counsel yeah. because the moment I do that, we have all these other things we've got to think about. It, and that's when you bring them in and say, no, 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 we're not going to do that because of this reason, this re- our privacy policy, our acceptable use policy, all these different things. It's always
2: nice, um, you know, because as, as CISOs, we're always known as Dr. No. Um, yeah. it, it's always nice to have a Dr. No for our Dr. No, exactly. where we can, we can essentially say, well, you know what, let's, let us let's talk to the legal expert and make sure before yeah. we do that, you know, just because you can. Doesn't mean you actually legally can, right? Um, and, and you know that's. I mean, I guess just boiling it down, it's there's so much intersection between technology and law. Yeah, I mean, think about intellectual property too. I mean, yep. the the if what you're putting out on your website is protected by copyright, we get hit. You know, we get pinged a couple of times a uh, month on oh, we think you're you know, using an image incorrectly, this money. It's like, no, no, we've already vetted all this internally. Everything's through non, you know, royalty free. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. You know, there's policies and procedures in place. Right.
1: Go ahead and sue us. We'd love to see you try. Right. Yeah. Yeah, You ought to have a, a wide open network with students on it. See what happens. No, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Hard (laughs) pass. Well, I, I mean,
2: that does probably get into the 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 only other thing we haven't talked about, and that is, you know, acceptable use. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. Um, I, that's always a, a weird, strange area for our, you know, for CISOs. Yeah. Um, and you and I were just talking about the, that the other day, some of our horror stories.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, uh, your environment is very different than my environment. Um, and so the... The requirements are very different. It, ultimately, it's about protecting people. It always is. But, uh, you know, I I live, I I, I personally live on a uh, an environment that's fairly wide open academic and uh, academic freedom side. There's a acceptable use for reasonable usage of computers, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and you know, th- is talking with the legal department. We have spent a lot of time really trying to understand what that actually means, mm-hmm. Um, because again, they will come to me and ask me the technical questions, and then they tell me the legal ramifications of things. Um, and and I, and it's really important to have that balance, because if you don't do both of those pieces, you're missing out on a significant chunk of protections for the universe or for the organization yeah um, and uh, you're right acceptable use and actually I'm going to throw a privacy policy in there as well because what is considered private um, you know in, in the case of somebody doing something on a computer mm-hmm. um, as a university we have very um, um, I, I don't know the right word to, to use, but we have very open policies of what you can and can't do. You know, it's very strict in certain ways. But mm-hmm. generally, um, as long as it's not illegal and you're not harassing somebody, there is an aspect of you can do what you need to do on our network, on our computers, you know, in a computer lab or on a personal machine or an oh. individual's machine. Um, but that can get you into trouble, you know, very quickly because there's a very fine line there.
2: And you know, I mentioned that that uh, Ontario versus Quan case earlier. We're on the public sector side, so um, you know, in the public sector, there's a lot more, um, uh, you know, a lot more ability to protect yourselves. You know, you you mentioned uh, your mantra with this uh, aspect is more academic freedom, and ours is more misappropriation of taxpayer funds, where it's like what we do. Is protect our network, uh, yep. you know, against, you know, our, our one of the phrases that we sleep and breathe is what counts as de minimis usage. It's like um, that idea that you're, um, you know, taking a break to check Facebook. Well, that's OK. But if you're, you know, if you're taking a break to check uh, something that's a little more um, embarrassing to the entity that taxpayers right. look like. Um, and not to you know, not even getting into the stuff where it's like you're actually putting our whole network at risk, yes, you're actually you know, uh, potentially accessing malware that's going to infect every machine. We're actually just talking about the fact that you know, our network can't be used for this stuff, right? Um, And that it's a very clear line in the sand, um, for us. Um, you know, we work with a number of city libraries, and of course, all of them have e rate funding. Um, you know, child protection laws. Um, so they've all got web filters on them and it's just, yep. but even then, you know uh, those default web filters um, the, uh, we have to crank them way back because yep. one of the default, um, uh web filter categories is always guns and weapons. Well, we have law enforcement here and we sure. support a lot of law enforcement. So it's yep. the first thing that you go see, um, right. you know, they're looking at violence and crime. That's, that's all kosher. Yep. Um, and uh, it these types of things, it's got to be tailored to the organization. And yeah. the people who are going to know those policies
1: and procedures are your attorneys. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where a CISO has to go. Um, it, it is. I, I do not recommend, I do not encourage a CISO to try to go figure out all these compliance requirements <laughs> themselves. They need to go ask those questions. Um, yeah. You were talking about uh, uh, kids, you know, you have protections. We have a K through eight here on campus. So mm. most everything we do is 18 and above um, for higher education. But we actually have an elementary and middle school here on campus. And so that segment of the network has hmm. special protections. Yeah, they would have to. I, I'm higher ed CISO. I had to learn those pieces because that was not things that we had to do before, you know, that we understood. So I went to legal and said, "Okay, what do we have to do? And they went and they got an expert um, because and and that's the one thing I want you everyone to keep in mind, you know, in the audience is um, law professionals. They usually have a a specialization. Um, You will find law professionals who they understand cyber and they understand privacy. Uh, Many of them don't. They understand vendor management or they understand litigation or they understand they get kind of specialized in what they do. So when you're working with one, they may very well go out and find an external person that knows that really, really well to come in and advise you. It's still legal advice because you're doing it through them. But whenever I'm looking at a new program or looking at something new, I absolutely want that legal advice. I want someone to say, okay. This is what you need to do. This is why we need to do it, and then my job is to meet those requirements. You know, and you know the last the
2: last element that I would hope, uh, and and again, I'm I'm in a cyber insurer. The last element I would hope that everybody goes to the general counsel for is cyber insurance policies. Absolutely. that's a contract. That it's yes. it's a lot more different than vendor management. Yep. Um, it because it is part of your risk management program, and everybody yep. should have one of those too. Um, yep. But that is a binding legal contract, and yep. understanding what it does, how it's invoked, um, what kind of protections you're going to have, um, if it, you know, wins it even in effect? I mean, these yep. things are strange sometimes and yep. a big challenge to read through. Yep. Um, the the cyber insurance pieces specifically, um, and I'll just a quick detail on this claims made policies. Uh, many cyber insurance policies are claims made, which means we don't care when the event was. So the difference being, like if you you're in a car accident, you know exactly when the car hit yours, right? <clears throat> That's the event. Well, we don't know when the hacker got into our network, that could have been two years ago right. when we weren't insured or we were insured by a different company yep. claims made is when you find out. Yep. And there's an aspect of it of not just when you found out, but when you told the insurer, when you right. started the claims process, yep. all of that is somewhat muddily defined in a policy. And your GC has got to advise you because that is a huge portion of your IRP. Yeah. So if you're not developing your IRP with your GC yep. in the context of law enforcement, your privacy requirements, your reporting
1: requirements, yep. your cyber insurance, all of that together, you're already you've already failed. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things I've been putting in my presentations lately for incident response is a notification plan. So it's not just anymore that You know, you have an incident. What is your response plan? Uh, Because look at the new requirements of CISA. You and I have talked about those, about the reporting requirements. Uh, We've got the cybersecurity (laughs) reporting requirements. We have the FERPA reporting requirements for my organization. You know, you have to report within 24 hours or 72 hours or however. So as you're developing your incident response plan, I have a new line item that I tell organizations they need to have a sheet of paper or a document that actually states, You got 24 hours to notify this person. You got 12 hours to notify this person. You've got 48 hours to notify this person down the line. Now that's one of those sayings that you need to work with your GC because they're the ones that's going to, you know, bring that information in (laughs) and do something with it. But Again, the incident command, you always have legal right beside you. They're your first call because they're going to start making all the extra calls. They're going to call the cyber insurance. They're going to engage yeah. that breach notification process. They're going to call attorney generals if they have to notify them. They're going to call state offices if they have to. Not- they're going to call legal or uh, law enforcement if they need to call them. My job as CISO is to deal with the incident, yeah. their job is to help me or this is how we've said their job is to help me with dealing with the incident by taking care of all of that extra pieces of notifications and compliance and everything so that we can get it done quickly and efficiently.
2: You mentioned that CISA uh, reporting requirement. That's going to be huge. Um, The the more I think about it, the more I've, and I actually haven't had much of a chance to talk to our GC about it other than to let them know that this is coming. Um, That's going to be huge. Yes. Um, the, the fact that it is in the rulemaking process right now, the fact that yep. it essentially is new legislation with this, this ever evolving yeah. amorphous legal component, uh, yeah. not that necessarily GCs can do anything about it. That's where you really need lobbyists, but, sure. um, th- there's so much there to prepare for, yeah, um, and, and so much to read through and interpret.
1: Well, it, it's it's you know from a and we won't go into too deep on this because we've only got a couple of minutes left, um, but it's turning CISA into a regulatory body instead yes. of an advisory body, and just like with any other regulatory body, you have requirements to meet <laughs> in that regulatory body. Um, and I'll tell you, I uh, I, I did I, I presented. You know, I was Oklahoma City down a couple uh, last week, and I was presenting to a, a group, and it was a room full of lawyers, and uh, we had great conversations about some of this stuff. But there were some pieces they didn't know hmm. because they're not in it every day, they're yeah. not looking at it every day, and I was able to go, "Hey, look at this, click," and I brought it up on the line, and I saw a bunch of eyes go, "Oh." Oh, you get, now we have to do that. Yeah. And it was great conversations, but again, they're not dealing with this stuff every day unless they have a CISO bring it to them and say, Hey, we need to think about this.
2: The one good thing, I uh, just, just to keep going on that CISO thing. The one good thing is some of the, the staff from CISO that I've spoken to, they are, they are also very aware of the fact that they are becoming a regulatory agency. They are also concerned about what this does they yeah. recognize that this is a sea change. Um, and it's going to affect everyone. Frankly, I, that's about all that they've said and agreed to, but they understand yeah. there's, there's a lot of unknowns here. Um, yeah. I think, I think we all know that, um, something needs to be done. Um, yeah. you know, this was the legis, this was the, the U S legislature that did this the house and the Senate, um, wrote this law. Now they just have to figure out the right way to implement it. They they get it,
1: Um, but it's, it's going to be big. Yeah, no, it is. And, and, you know, again, it's going to be very critical for the organizations to get together to understand how it's going to impact them, what they need to do and uh, modify their incident response plans. Because again, you now have that new notification requirement um, to, to be able, and you've got to do that correctly, you got to do that quickly and efficiently. Um, so I, I think it's it, as the industry moves on, we've got one minute to close. So, uh, as the industry moves forward, uh, I think that the relationship between the CISO and the, the legal office, the general counsel's office, is going to just get stronger and stronger as it should. Um, so for those of you in the audience, if you don't have a good relationship with your GC, if you don't know them go talk to them, go buy shake him hands, <laughs> buy them a beer. Absolutely. Yeah. Just go build that relationship. So we've got about a minute to close. Do you have anything you want to uh, leave the audience with?
2: No. Um, uh, keep collecting those great stories. It's, it usually starts with HR. Um, yep. Those are always the funny ones where it's like, Oh no, I, I can do that, but here's why I shouldn't. And yep. Yep. Um, it, it,
1: make sure your GC is backing you up on those. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for stopping by and you know having a great talk. This has been a lot of fun, everybody. Uh, again, we've got two events coming up. We've got uh, November second in Nashville, and we got November sixteenth in San Diego. If you can, uh, if you can join us, I think Kim would absolutely love to have you there. Uh, you can find our episodes on Voice America Talk Radio Network and uh, and you, on your favorite podcast show. So, everyone, have a great afternoon and a great rest of the week which is almost over. So have a great weekend and we will catch you next time.
0: Thank you for tuning into And Security for All. Be sure to join your host, Kim Hakem, for another episode of the show next Friday at noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Business Channel. And don't forget, you can follow Kim on LinkedIn by searching for Kim Hakem. That's Kim H-A-K-I-M to keep yourself posted on all of her upcoming cybersecurity events. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training, discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureCon HQ Don't miss the weekly FutureCon Seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder Next Robotics, host Seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher.